Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview Heather Renfro, whose son, Adam, died by suicide approximately 15 months ago. Every sudden and unexpected death is painfully difficult and unique. During the month of September, National Suicide Prevention Month, and throughout this podcast, we have explored some of the distinctive challenges that families who have experienced the suicide of loved ones encounter in the aftermath of suicide and throughout their healing. In today's interview, Heather courageously shares her son's mental health struggles, his criminal background, and her beliefs about receiving support after his death. Heather talks about the conscious decisions she made to change her grieving patterns, to be a better role model for her daughter, how she ultimately found her voice, and her plans for helping others in the future. Heather, hello and welcome. I am so glad that you are here with us today. So let's just get started and jump in. Why don't you start and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, hello, Jennifer. Thank you. I This is something I never would have seen for myself. Um, my name is Heather Renfro. I'm from Pasadena, California, a lifelong resident of Pasadena. Um, I am a part-time substitute preschool teacher. was a full-time one until I adopted my children. I have three children, uh, um, AJ, 14, Carly, 11, and my son, Adam, 36. He died last year when he was 35. I had a birthday for him this year, and I choose to let him age. Okay. I don't want to keep him stuck in all that mess that happened last year. Okay. That's quite a an age uh, difference, 13 to uh, 11 to 36. My two younger children, Carly and Adam, are my son Adam's. There's a lot of Adams in the family. My son Adam that passed away, they are his children. I adopted them several years before he passed away, before he died. He died. Okay. Still not an easy word to say. I bet. What are some of the things um, you like to do, Heather, when you're not working? When I'm not working. I love do-it-yourself projects. Um, I, some of them not by choice. <laughs> My parents left me a house that uh, requires a lot of maintenance. I love that. Um, Carly and I love to play board games. Uh, reading now is big with me. Um, okay. It was in the past. I enjoy it a lot now. Um, I, there's a couple, there's a TV show I love to watch. I don't know if anyone's heard it. It's the um, Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> I love that show. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm working on the backyard. Adam loved being in the backyard and that's a place I'd like to make special for him. But I just, what do I like to do? There's really nothing in particular. It's just whatever at the moment, what I feel like it, but definitely do it yourself. Um, <laughs> it's funny at, at school for when parents want to give gifts to the teachers, the first thing I ask for is a gift card to Home Depot. That's great. That's my favorite. Uh, can I share a, a little fun fact about you, if that's okay? Sure. I happen to know you like tiny little fun hats. I do like tiny hats. It, it all started out when I bought one for my dog and she didn't want to wear it. So I thought, well, I'm going to wear it. And and 
now I wear them. I was going to wear one today, but I didn't think it would be appropriate. Oh. My newest hat is a little sailor hat. <laughs> it's about that big. But um, yeah, and it makes people laugh. It makes people smile. I, I had accidentally worn a small hat out one day. and kept getting all these looks wondering why. And I thought, well, why not? <laughs> so. Well, maybe you can take some pictures of um, your tiny little hats and we'll put them in our uh, Facebook group. Uh, I saw some on Zoom and they're just adorable. They are. They so, are. Well, given me permission to share that you were a um, previous participant in my traumatic grief group, which is where I saw you wear some of your um, tiny <laughs> little hats, and they were very much appreciated by uh, the group members. And uh, during that short time, I, uh, I had the opportunity to get to know you through some very difficult and painful circumstances that actually included multiple losses. And I was privileged to be able to witness your exceptional growth and initial healing after your son's death. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, your, your growth and your healing and your son's death. So why don't you start and share what happened the night that your son died? Okay. Um, so I want to say, um, Adam had some mental health issues and, and addiction, and that led to him being very paranoid, delusional. It wasn't unusual for him to have different phone numbers, maybe even go through a couple of phones a day because he felt he was being followed, whatever the reason. Um, so that I saw him Friday morning, the 29th. He came over and he looked well. I let him come in. I let him sleep, gave him something to eat. Um, I, I told him I had to go somewhere, but he had to wait outside. I just wasn't comfortable with him being in home by himself. I left. I told him I'd be right back. That was the last time I saw him alive. And I'm grateful for that moment that I had with him. See, he, he was well. It's always well until he isn't. So that night, um, around midnight, a couple of calls came in. I didn't answer them. I knew it was him. I figured, you know, nighttime is always hard for him. This is, it was hard for him. Text came in. I didn't look at it. I don't know how much time had passed, but we heard my daughter and I were sleeping in the front bedroom and we heard sirens. They got louder, woke us up. Then we saw them go past our window. That was unusual for them to be coming down our our street, especially the amount of cars there were. There were probably about seven police cars that came down, coming down fast, um, literally jumped us out of bed, heard a helicopter, looked out the window. By the time I looked out the window, I could see the helicopter was about a few blocks away. And I thought, they're after somebody. What's going on? And um, I went on the neighborhood website to see if anybody knew what was going on. And they just said, you know, there's some kind of a chase, yada, yada. I looked at my phone. And there was a message from Adam. And it said, I love you. Watch the news. So I knew this was, I put the pieces together and this, I knew this was about Adam. I um I called the hospital to see if he was there. They didn't know anything about it. Called the police station. Everything was still happening. We couldn't get any information. At some point I made contact with his his girlfriend and um she told me about the chase and she thought it was Adam and um that it was on on the news. Went down there. Everything was over by the time I got had gotten there. Um, I was several yards away from where everything ended. He, he, he was in the park parking lot of um, the 7-Eleven parking lot. Apparently, Adam had <clears throat> taken a, a, a van, stolen a van. He came, he came down our street trying to come home 
I couldn't have gotten out there soon enough to get him in the house anyway. Yeah. Um, when they got to the parking lot, Adam had a gun. He had the gun to his head the whole time. Nobody knew that it wasn't loaded. <clears throat> he just kept saying he wanted to die for them to shoot him. Um, at one point, he called 911. And and he told them, I just want to go home. I just want to talk to my mom. They never had a chance to call me. Adam Adam rolled the van about a foot forward, and police officers opened fire on him. Oh, Heather, that must have been such a difficult thing to learn for you. It was so violent. And the fact that it was televised, it's out there. And I know you know I watched it every day, all day for a long time. The hardest part was listening to the 911 call to hear his voice. Yeah. Why didn't I just pick up the phone? Why didn't I answer the text? Yeah. Um, I, I, <clears throat> my niece drove me, drove me down there, and it was a while before the detectives came over to talk to me. In fact, it was... It was dark when I arrived there. It was, it was morning time by the time they finally came over and talked to me. And I just said, I, I think that might be my son. And they said, we know it's Adam. Adam planned this. And even though his death certificate is ruled a homicide, I, I know it was a suicide. I have no doubt about that. He never once pointed the gun at the, the police. This all happened during the night when they chased him. He went back he went backwards. He went the wrong way on the freeway, the wrong way. The it could have been much worse. It could have been much worse for so many people. I'm sorry that it was him, but I'm glad nobody else was hurt. And it, not then, now, or ever will I blame the police for what happened. I I came home and had to tell my daughter that was your dad. It was your dad. And he died. He passed away. And her, her response was, oh, okay. And she went in the other room. The, the worst part was that I was by myself to deal with this. Nobody stayed there with me. I, I called my friends. I don't remember calling them, but they said I did, and I just was very matter-of-fact of what happened. And I guess I was hoping somebody would, would come there and sit with me, and they didn't. So you were and, very alone. Yeah. And, and just, and obviously in shock of what, in disbelief of what just happened. And I, I didn't know what to do then. I didn't I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. This this wasn't supposed to happen. Absolutely. What do you remember? I mean, this I hear you talk about that moment right afterwards but thinking about those initial days the immediate aftermath the early stages of your grief um what do you remember about the early stages of the traumatic grief that you experienced 
I isolated myself, didn't want to talk to anybody. Still in denial. I still thought I'm still waiting for his phone call. I'm still waiting for his sex. He's going to show up. I know he will. I they wouldn't let me identify him. So how do I know it was really him? I would go out and look for him. I I would ask if anyone has seen him or has heard from him. It was eh. it, it I ruminated on the I watched the videos every day, looking for some kind of a flaw, looking to see at what point could I have saved him. Still thinking I could save him. To this day, as a mother, I still think, what did I miss? There's got to be some, you know, my head tells me I can't. My heart tells me I can still do it. There came a point, I, I don't know how long afterwards, I guess it was a few weeks after, I realized if I don't get help, this is not going to end well. I, I just, I needed help, but I wasn't sure what kind of help I needed. And with what happened with Adam, it happened during a crime. He was committing a crime, running from the police. Who's going to want to help somebody like that? Who's going to want to help the family or the mother of somebody who was committing a crime? It, I grew up where things like this happen. You just keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Deal with it yourself. I, I This was something I couldn't deal with but alone. So getting into... Um, Getting into therapy was the best choice. Mm -hmm. Best start. And it was different than therapy I had before, where I was told what to do, how to do it, and told if I was doing it wrong. So what was your experience? Um, I know you did a lot of different things this time besides therapy. What else did you do besides therapy? Uh, Join a group. You joined a group, holiday group, because the holidays were coming. Yep. Um, I have never been a person to journal. Did a lot of journaling, a lot of writing. Right. Um, it's actually interesting now to go back to see where I started. Where a lot of I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, it was an initial victim phase. Why? Why is this happening to you? Why are all these losses happening to me? What did I do? What did I do to deserve all of this? Mm -hmm. um, I I didn't I didn't want to go back to work. I ended up going back maybe one day a week or so. And times I couldn't, I just couldn't be there, and I had to leave. Mm -hmm. I had my kids keep me busy. Um, I. I went into survival mode. Mm -hmm. I, I survived the best I could. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to. I didn't want to survive. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I know you, um, from what you've shared, um, you talked about, you made a real commitment to not wanting to stay, and these were your words when we talked beforehand, not wanting to um, to stay stuck. And um, you described how you stopped watching the videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about the nine or 10 month mark of Adam dying, Adam's death. Death is such a permanent word. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was around Easter, and last Easter, Adam and I had an argument to where I had to ask him to leave the house. I actually had to have him escorted out of the house. Mm -hmm. So Easter, was I was not looking forward to it. Always my favorite holiday of the year. So this year, you know, I, my plan was to just stay in bed. Then I looked at Carly, and I thought, what message am I sending to her? That mm -hmm. she doesn't matter? Of course she does. 
and I stopped and I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't let something that I didn't have any control over control me. It was time to stop watching the videos. It was trying, it was time to stop trying to change the past, change something I couldn't and start finding some joy. I can't say I remember any, everything about that Easter, but I know that was a turning point for me. And I know Adam would have wanted that. Adam wouldn't want me to, to not be happy. He wouldn't want me to just crawl in bed and fade away. And from then I decided, you know what? I, I, I need to, I need to put the work in. I need to put the effort in. From the beginning, when I, um, started therapy I think I fought it the whole time in my head you know I would hear it but then I'd say no that's not me I, I can't do that I can't do that I thought you know why not try why not try see what happens um I believe it was you that told me about doing the opposite of what my grief, grief wanted me to do that was incredible <laughs> that that worked a lot I, I did a lot of it and then there are times where the grief just hits me and takes me down and I've learned when that happens write it out it's okay it's gonna pass and it's gonna come again but what I have now that I didn't have with all those other losses are the connections and the resources and it surprised me when that nine and ten month mark came because I thought this is too soon I can't, I can't lessen my grief for him. I, I can't stop being sad for him. I can't stop crying. More. But it was just becoming innate where it was natural for me to like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay until I'm not. <laughs> Talk about you just said, um, talk about your support. You know, I, I, I just, I could feel how isolated, alone, and scared you were that first night. And then the, the, the network of people you've developed now. Talk a little bit about that. When we first started the holiday group that, that you were running, you had asked me, about what my tribe was I didn't know what you meant by that I said I don't know Jennifer I don't know what my tribe is well my tribe is all the connections I made with people who may not have been the same thing that happened with them but we've all lost somebody that we love that has affected us profoundly and to be able to sit with each other talk with her even if it's just in silence is a big difference you know <laughs> loneliness can be very heavy and, and it can be frightening and scary. I I still connect with everyone in the group. I still connect with the group. We're, we're actually meeting this Thursday. I put together a Zoom group for us to meet for the holidays. And I'm working on one for the retreat group. <laughs> um, when I have moments, you know, I'll, I'll check in and say, how is everyone doing? Hey, what's everyone having for dinner? Yes, I want to know. But it's also for me a personal SOS that I'm sending out. Like, I just need to make a connection with somebody. I just need to know that somebody's there. Somebody knows I'm here. You know, I see you. You see me. Being able to openly talk about Adam, what happened, the the struggles that we're dealing with. It's it's not a guessing game for anyone it's not somebody else who hasn't been through this saying this is what you should do this is how it should be done but it and it's it's not advice it's we're hearing what's worked for each other and it's just the support for each other you know you want to talk i'm here to listen i'm here to hold your hand so that's all we need yeah it doesn't have to be a big conversation it doesn't have to be <laughs> Nobody's trying to fix anyone. That power of community and that power of connection has been so important. It has, absolutely. And what's even more powerful are the connections I had to cut. Say more about that. Uh, family members, friends that 
were not supportive. Not rep- not supportive also before that, but I could see it more after Adam passed. And but, you know, I don't I don't need that negativity. I don't <laughs> I'm 59 years old and just learning how to adult. Like, oh, I don't. I don't have to do this. I don't. I, I can say no. I I don't always have to give in to someone else. I don't have to. I can be myself around. I can be myself around the people I made the connections with. I make connections to people that I never would have approached otherwise. Mm. I would have been too intimidated, too scared. I would have probably said to my mother, even as an adult, you know, I. I've met these people. We're going to go have lunch. Oh, don't do that. She would tell me, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Or even even the journaling that I shared with you, she would have said not to share that with you. Keep it to yourself. So the connections to the group is, is has helped to give me that voice to speak up for myself, to speak up for Adam, to share Adam, to be less afraid of the world than I was before he died. Finding that voice has been so powerful for you. Yeah. I know what, and scary. Yeah. Yeah. I know one of the things that you've done with that voice is started to advocate for the needs of other grievers who've also experienced the suicide of a loved one with a criminal record as a result of your son's experience. And um, you wrote a powerful article um, sharing your experience in more detail, expressing your concerns and identifying those needs. And we'll post that in our Facebook group. But you mentioned that earlier, like who's going to want to comfort me, the mother of a son who was, you know, doing something wrong when he died. But there are so many people in your situation and your needs are no less important. And I think that's one of the reasons you wanted to share your story. Can you say more about that? Yeah, it, it started out as a journal writing. Um, listen to all your podcasts, read your new les- newsletters. And when I hear the stories about suicide, I'm waiting to hear a story like mine. And I didn't. And one of the podcasts I, I heard, um, It lit a fire under me. It made me angry. It lit a fire under me. And it was time to put the shame aside. And I was going to keep it to myself. And I thought, you know, this is this is important. I need, I just want to share it with Jennifer. And I'm glad I did. Because I can't be the only one who is thinking this. Who is thinking my my child, my relative, my friend in the midst of a a crime or has had a record. My son committed the crime. I didn't. And I shouldn't be punished for that. The guilt and the blame that I have for what happened will always be there. But the point of telling you about it is that, like I said, I, I can't be the only one who's, who's thinking this. There's no voice for us to say, yeah, this happened, but I know you need help too. Yeah. Yeah. So glad you found that voice. (laughs) So how would you describe your grief now, 15 months after your son has died? it's manageable and there's a peace and calm that I feel now because I think he feels that as well Mm. I 
not actively trying to save him, to change things. Doesn't mean I won't always think about it. The guilt and blame, like I said, are still there. Just not this giant neon sign hanging over my head with a flashing arrow saying, look what you did. Why didn't you do something? And I described it as it's a little folded up piece of paper in my back pocket. And sometimes I reach in and it's there. It's like, yeah, I still feel bad. But I know I did everything I could. I hope I did everything I could. And I think as a mother, I'm always going to feel like I didn't do enough. It, it's important for me that my kids know that my kids are open with me about their emotions, their feelings, because for me, my entire life, I didn't have that. I didn't, I, I couldn't express myself openly. I couldn't feel the things I felt. And they kept a lot of it, a lot of it in. And therapy helped to get a lot of that out. What I thought I was coming in for therapy was to help me heal from Adam. I had to heal from things that happened back when I was 19 years old that I never, never had a chance to do. And I'm sorry, Jennifer, I forgot what your question was. No, I asked about your grief right now, how you would describe it. Um, in, in therapy, I would hear, you know, things are going to get better and that there's no possible way things could get better with this. They are getting better. They continue to get better. You know, I would hear you can hold grief and joy at the same time. Mm -hmm. No, that's impossible. And that's what I'm experiencing. I will always grieve for Adam. That will always be there. Sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's not. But I'm finding moments of joy as well. And it doesn't make any sense to me at times. And the healing that's happening, there are times I want to stop it and say, no, I don't I don't want to. I want to go backwards. I don't want to do this. But I can't. I've come too far. And now it's, I want to keep going. My mother and Adam, my kids are my driving force to keep pushing forward when I feel like I want to give up. You know, it, it's... What happened with Adam, and I know this is going to be a horrible thing to say, Adam's death was a relief. It was a relief. I miss him terribly. But I don't have to fear for him anymore. I don't have to worry about him anymore. He was okay until he wasn't in his last year of life. I just saw him spiral so fast. And if this didn't happen when it did, I think it would have happened eventually, if not that way, another way. I still don't think Adam would be here. Um, you, When we talked about the podcast, you had mentioned to me that, you know, I, I love Adam and I would want him back without a doubt. And I said, yes, of course. And after thinking about it, I know I called you or texted you back and said, you know, Jennifer, would I want Adam back? If it meant without the mental illness and the addiction, and the paranoia, and the delusions, absolutely. If I had to take him back the way he really was, I'd have to say no. I can't go through that again. It, it was his pain was my pain his worry was my worry I don't I say I don't have that it's less now yeah I could tell you've done so much reflection and work to be at peace with those thoughts and so courageous to be able to use your voice and be able to say those out loud. Thank you for that. Thank you. What type of future plans do you envision for yourself, for your grief? 
teaching is not really in me anymore. You know, okay. this, yeah. this, this, this is changing my plans Yeah, in a good way, in a good way. Um, I had to sit in my grief alone. No one should have to. What can I do to help anyone else to, to, Just tell them I see you, I hear you, I'm here. What can I do? I'm not here to give advice. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But I will tell you, you are not alone. And that is the worst. The loneliness is the worst part to deal with, for me in particular. Um, even you know, family members, we will, remind, we always, will remind me of when I tell them that Adam is scary, Adam. I wish I told them more about the good things about Adam than the parts when I was scared of him. I want to hear people's stories. I want to hear I, I want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. I want it to it came out of me so much. It was just the purge of emotions that came out just from talking about him, from people letting me talk about him telling the pain of the story because I'm telling it to people who understand maybe not the same situation, but the pain, the pain and the grief is not understood by everybody. And you have to have the right connections for that. I want to be a right connection for someone else. I'm still healing. I will always continue to heal. I am growing and I am evolving with my grief. And I, I'm not the type of person to say anything kind about myself. But I'm very proud of where I am come from and where I'm going, wherever that may be. I'm not giving up. I'm not stopping. I'm not, I'm not going backwards. I'm not staying stuck. I was a victim. I was a survivor. And me, Heather... I'm thriving. And that's not something I ever thought would happen after this. When I lost my mother, that was a catastrophe. When I lost Adam, that was a word beyond catastrophe. To say that I'd be sitting here talking to you, doing a podcast, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me. But it is. I'm here. I survived. I, I survived something that I thought was not survivable that I didn't want to survive. And now I want to survive. I need to, I want to. And I am. Heather, just listening to you, just, wow. Fills me inside. Because I witnessed firsthand your experiences. And now to see you in this place today. Uh, the result of so much hard work and reflection and there's such a realistic perspective to realize this is not over and this will be part of you forever and that willingness to be a part of other people's pain and stories and to help them as well so beautiful thank you um one thing i like i said i i fought this from the beginning I'm not fighting it anymore um there's always trust the process i had to change that up because to me, it just sounded like there was an ending to it. So I just changed the wording to, I I have to trust this journey. And that's what I remind myself. I am on a journey, a lifelong journey. I know where the paths are going to take me. But this is, a, this is a lifelong journey that I'm grateful to be taking. So what advice would you give to another mother? Especially a mother who has a a child with a background like Adams um, who feels that they're not going to be able to survive right after a situation like this. For me, by what I did is you're not alone. I don't want you to be alone. You need to reach out. For me, I had to reach out. It was a hard thing to do. I'm not one to ask for help. 
I'm the one always trying to give help. Don't. The story aside of how your child died, my son's death does not define him and it doesn't define me. I still need to help. Please reach out. Please make a connection. God, get my number from Jennifer. Call me. I'll listen to you. <laughs> Anything. She will. <laughs> I will. This is this is a journey I could never do alone. I thought I could. I thought I could get through this myself. No, I I needed people in my life. I needed I needed help. Please don't think this is something you can do by yourself. It's hard. It's difficult. And I never thought I would say this because I didn't think it about myself. It does get better. Doesn't make it go away. Doesn't mean you can change what's happened. But I've learned that I've got to take care of myself. And the way to take care of myself is to continue to heal, to continue to talk, to listen, make changes I need to. I guess the biggest thing would be to say, please pick up the phone, somebody or put a neighbor or something. Just you've got to get it out. You've got to get out. You've got to talk. And if that person doesn't listen, find someone else. Just keep going. You're going to find somebody. You're going to find somebody who who's going to listen to you. You've, you've got a lot to offer. You're, you're worth something, regardless of the circumstances. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I'd like to say something to my son. Of course. Um, as a child, um, you know, I'd always sing to him. I would always start off by saying, um, Mommy loves you past the moon and the stars and all the planets in the sky and everything in the universe, Adam. And I want to say, Adam, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Sleep tight, Adam. I love you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Heather. As Heather mentioned, we began working together when she participated in a holiday grief group support program I was leading. She was already in individual therapy, but this was her first real grief ex group experience. And I remember in the very beginning, she was reluctant to share her experiences and grieving patterns. At the onset of group, she continued to watch the videos of her son's death multiple times a day, isolate herself from others and lacked a support system. This was an online group of men and women of varying ages and diverse losses who bonded fiercely. And one day, Heather asked the group if she could create a group chat via text so they could support each other and check in outside of the group. This group chat worked wonders and the group continued to meet long after the holidays were over. And although the group no longer formally exists, I know they still continue to be a community and check in with one another to this day. There were so many important and interconnected themes that were touched on during today's interview that included the intensity of trauma symptoms that can occur in the immediate aftermath of a sudden or unexpected death? What happens when the police and media are involved? 
healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms, isolation and the power of human connection, how grief evolves over time, and even shame. I would like to use a letter that Heather wrote to me in September to bring some of these themes together and talk about a different type of grief as well. In today's interview, Heather shared her son's criminal history and her perceptions that his actions impacted her ability to ask for or receive help. Heather gave her permission to post this letter in our Facebook group, talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. And I've combined some excerpts from Heather's letter that I would like to share with you. She wrote, everyone needs a lifeline for help. There's always someone left behind that is dealing with the fallout from suicide. I was left behind and I had no help and felt I had no right to ask for help. But what I'm not hearing is a story like mine. There have not been many me too moments for me. I can't relate. I try, but I can't. I can't be the only mother who's lost a son in such a horrible way. Who is going to want to help the mother of a family of a criminal? Even if we weren't the ones that committed the crime. And by help, I mean comfort. I just needed someone to sit with me and tell me what I was supposed to do now. I just needed human contact so that I could get through one hour and one second at a time. I can't be the only one that feels this way. Left out, I felt like I had to keep my mouth shut and just deal with it on my own. In this portion of the letter, Heather described her experience of disenfranchised grief, a term coined by Kenneth Doka in the late 1980s. Disenfranchised grief occurs when grieving does not fit into society's acknowledgement about dealing with grief or loss that is not socially acceptable or publicly supported. Disenfranchised grievers like Heather can additional can experience additional negative consequences on top of their already stressful circumstances, including increased loneliness, anxiety, depression, or shame. This is on top of the traumatic grief Heather was already experiencing. Heather knew right away that she was not going to get the help she needed, but the shame, overwhelming pain, and the burden associated with the disenfranchised grief and the overwhelming aspects of the traumatic grief kept her trapped until I believe it was Easter that she shared with us in the interview. When she reflected back in her letter that she wrote in September, she stated, suicide, mental illness, substance abuse, silence. The silence is deafening and I'm angry. I'm angry at myself for not knowing what I know now. And if I did, what would have changed. I can't go back and change the outcome, but I hope I can plant the seeds to bring awareness, not just to those who can easily access help, but also to those who suffer in silence like me. My son committed a crime, I didn't. I needed help and I had to find it on my own. It shouldn't be this way. Loneliness is harsh. I needed connection with another human being. There are millions of us who have loved ones who have interactions with or have been impacted with the criminal justice system, and their stories and lives are just as important as those who haven't been affected by it. We need to be heard and understood. I believe Heather's experience has ignited the passion and calling for her future that she shared with us. When I was interviewing Heather and listening to the recording of our transcripts, I was reminded of the intensity and trauma of her initial grief experiences. Heather found the strength from within to make different choices. She started therapy and journaling and stopped watching the tapes of her son's death. She took risks and wanted something different for herself and her children. I know she still continues to struggle, to miss her son greatly, and to experience her grief on a daily basis. But she's now able to utilize healthy coping mechanisms. She's found her voice and is able to verbally ask for support. 
She's able to support others and has cultivated an amazing support community and is committed to helping others as well. Heather's resilient. She's a fighter and she's now able to acknowledge that she's going to be okay, even thrive after the sudden death of her son. She is now more than willing than ever to step out of her comfort zone and try something new. She admitted to me that she sometimes struggles to see the strengths in the moments when she needs them the most, but she surrounded herself with people who she loves and trusts that are able to remind her of her strengths when she's unable to see them herself. But Adam's death, like all sudden and unexpected deaths, changed Heather's life forever. But in today's interview, Heather said it was in a good way, which was hard for her to admit. She wrote, the best way I can honor my son is by moving forward with my life. I have a peace and calm within me because I choose to remember him in good, his loving and gentle soul and his contagious smile. I miss that. I'm not leaving my son behind or putting him aside. He flows through every vein in my body. He will forever be by my side on this beautiful, scary, ever-changing journey that brings me comfort. There is a driving force in me that I never experienced before that keeps me pushing when I want to give up. I'll honor my son by not just by surviving, but by living my life as fully as I know how. Adam gives me purpose to change, evolve, and grow in my grief. I am thriving because he wouldn't want to be the one holding me back from the joy my life has waiting for me. Thank you, Adam. If you or someone you love is feeling suicidal or in need of crisis support, please text or call Lifeline 24 at 988 to speak with a counselor. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. My next podcast will be on December 13th and will feature Dr. Donna Sherman, the Senior Director of Advocacy and Training and former Executive Director at the Dougie Center. Dr. Sherman is an international authority on grief and bereaved children, teens, and families. To learn more about hope, guidance, after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief, at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.